Open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 10, please. Mark chapter 10. Open your Bible or navigate on your device. We're in Mark 10. We're going to look at verses 46 through 52. That's our text. While you're finding it, I'll tell you the topic there is that a blind man's cries for mercy caused Jesus to come to a complete standstill on his way to the cross. And so the title of our message is, The Day the Earthmaker Stood Still. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I'm always uh, intrigued by the words in the Revelation, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's our desire this morning, to be spoken to by God the Holy Spirit who is in the hearts of believers and who is in this place as we've gathered so that we will understand uh, things about our lives and the life of Jesus Christ that would transform us and change us more into the image of his uh, beautiful countenance. If there are people here that aren't saved, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to them. Maybe they know they're not saved. Maybe they think they are saved, but you can pierce and talk to them where the soul and the spirit are divided and show them the truth of the gospel. Do all these things and more, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. Have you heard of omaze.com? Well, it's an online auction, but it's for charities, and it offers once-in-a-lifetime experiences. Omaze was founded by Matt Polson and Ryan Cummins. They were disheartened after attending a charity auction looking to sell off a special experience with Magic Johnson. We're both lifelong Magic fans, and the idea of shooting hoops with him and going to a Lakers game with him was something we were both so excited about, said Cummins. But when the bidding started, the price rapidly fell far out of our reach and eventually sold for $15,000. On the ride home that night, they realized that by doing celebrity experience auctions online, they could maximize profits for charities while making the bidding and the chance to win fair for everyone. On Omaze, the bid is always only $10. You can't bid any more than that. You can buy as many $10 bids as you'd like, but they are considered individual bids. Here are two of their current auctions I'm sure you're interested in. Uh, You can bid to share a pizza with Robert Downey Jr. at his favorite New York pizzeria. Included is an exclusive screening of Captain America Civil War, the big movie coming out. Tickets to The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, where Downey is a guest, and a four-night stay at a luxury Big Apple hotel. Or you can bid to have lunch with Chris Pratt while visiting the set of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and enjoying a luxury hotel in Atlanta. In the most recently completed auction, fans won walk-on roles in the next Star Trek movie. They will fly to the closed set of Star Trek Beyond, hang out with the cast, then get hair, makeup, and wardrobe into character for the role of a lifetime. Now, I got to thinking about these once-in-a-lifetime meetings while studying our text. A blind man, stationed as a beggar on the outskirts of Jericho, hears that Jesus is walking through town on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus would never be passing that way again. This was the Passover that he would be crucified in Jerusalem. This was it for this blind beggar, a once in a lifetime, now or never moment to meet Jesus. He cried out repeatedly, and we'll see that the Lord stood still. As we work through this event, I want to explore what still causes Jesus to stand still and what will encourage us as his followers to never sit still. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, Jesus stands still when you cry for mercy. 
And number two, Jesus stands still while you call out to men. Let's talk about mercy first in verses 46 through 49. KCRA Sacramento ran a story in 2014 about a couple going through the valley here panhandling. The story was titled, Self-Proclaimed Professional Panhandlers Net $182 an Hour. (laughs) It's almost as much as I make. (laughs) The title was a little sensational and a lot deceiving. True, they made $364 in about a two-hour period, but they weren't panhandling all day. They only did it for two hours. They weren't making that much as a daily hourly wage all the time. Stories like that fuel the false notion that all of the people out there panhandling are really millionaires. I grew up thinking that because as a kid, anytime we would see a beggar or a panhandler down in San Bernardino, and I would ask my dad if we could give him a quarter or a dollar, he would say, no, son, those people are millionaires. And I started to believe that. And I thought, man, so why are you an auto mechanic? Why don't we just beg? It doesn't work when you lie to kids. But anyway, a research team found that the typical panhandler in San Francisco's Union Square is a disabled, middle-aged, single male who is a racial minority, makes less than $25 per day, despite panhandling seven days a week for more than five years. 94% use the meager funds they raise for food, not for booze or drugs, like we sometimes think. And so let's try to set aside our opinions, whatever they are, on contemporary panhandling so that they don't influence our thoughts at all about this Jericho beggar. And so verse 46, now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. If you were a beggar in the first century, there was no deception involved. You were destitute, depending on the meager alms you'd receive from passers-by for your total livelihood. Passover was a profitable season for begging. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 34, verse 23, the Bible says, three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. Passover was one of those times all the men were supposed to come, so the roads would be full of both pilgrims on their way to the temple and beggars soliciting alms. We don't know if Bartimaeus was born blind or if he had acquired blindness later on in his life. Every day he would find his way to a spot in Jericho to beg. Three times a year he'd station himself strategically along the road to intercept the flow of pilgrims. It's really hard for us to enter into the sad monotony and hopelessness of his suffering. Day after dark day he depended upon the random generosity of others until this one amazing day came. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He heard, meaning he was paying close attention to the flow of the crowd. You know, after years of begging, I'm sure he could tell when a larger group or when a faster group was approaching. He must have had a certain rhythm worked out for asking for alms, timing it just right so that he would be noticed. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, there's a, it's, I don't want to use the word art form, but there's an art to begging in the first century so that you would be noticed by people on foot. Suddenly there was an unusual commotion. It came to his ears that Jesus of Nazareth was leading his disciples, followed by a much larger jubilant crowd. Have you ever seen a celebrity in some public venue 
One of my pastimes at Disneyland is to be on the lookout for celebs. So is everyone else, of course. And when you see one, you'll hear whispering or talking as people tell their party, look, that's, that's Brad Garrett. Brad Garrett goes to Disneyland a lot. You see pictures of him on Twitter and Instagram. And he's like 12 feet taller than everybody else. And so he's real easy to spot. He's, everybody loves Raymond. He's got the deep voice. Anyway, and so, but that's what happens. It's like all of a sudden you hear this. And so this is probably similar to what alerted Bartimaeus that Jesus was coming by. Now, this obviously isn't the first Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus. We can't say for sure exactly what information he gathered from listening to travelers, but I'm guessing he knew Jesus worked miracles and was about giving sight to the blind. Bartimaeus also seemed to have a developed but incomplete, accurate theology. He believed Jesus of Nazareth was son of David. That's a title for the one who would sit on David's throne in Jerusalem and rule over the kingdom of God on the earth. And and so he had heard about Jesus of Nazareth and he had uh, a theology that he was the coming king who would set up the kingdom. And that's my speculation, but I bet that Bartimaeus fully expected Jesus to march into Jerusalem, sit on David's throne as king over Israel, expel the Romans, and get into the glories of the kingdom promised in the Old Testament, because that's what everyone was expecting that Passover. In just a few days on what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus would in fact ride into Jerusalem and the crowds would hail him as king. Now he'd already told them he was going there to be crucified. But they were expecting him to be crowned as the king. Now I'm setting up for a comparison. The disciples, thinking Jesus was going to be king, all but demanded positions in the kingdom of God and the best seats on the thrones. Bartimaeus, thinking Jesus was going to be king, begged for mercy. Peter had proudly declared to Jesus, we've left all to follow you. He was asking for what he thought he deserved. Bartimaeus asked for what he did not deserve, mercy, which by the way, that's a great definition of mercy, not getting what you deserve. You know uh, what makes you irresistible to God? You want to be irresistible to God? Humility makes you irresistible to God. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, James would say in his epistle. Humble yourself by realizing you deserve nothing from God and ask him to bless you in spite of it. Don't do it with a woe is me attitude, but as an honest appraisal of the fact that we are all sinners with no hope of heaven without help from the Lord, but it's help which he is quick to provide when we boldly ask for mercy at his throne. Now, more than one commentator likes to point out that Bartimaeus was not the only blind man on the Jericho road. Jesus' own disciples were far more spiritually blind than he was. His healing was a genuine miracle, but it also serves as a parable to those who have eyes but cannot see spiritually. And so the disciples could see, but their hearts were darkened. Bartimaeus could not see, but his heart was alive to Jesus Christ. And then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. How do you warn a blind man? I mean, isn't that kind of harsh? Do you say, listen, Bartimaeus, if you don't shut up, I'm going to trip you the next chance I get. I mean, it's, it's cruel when you stop and think about it. Warning him reveals a fundamental flaw in their thinking, a flaw Jesus had just pointed out a few verses earlier in chapter 10. It reveals the desire to be served rather than to serve others. The disciples and the crowd were riding the wave of blessing into Jerusalem 
Why concern themselves with one blind beggar? I mean, Jesus is going to set up the kingdom and they're going to receive rewards. They're going to be served. They don't have time to stoop to serve this blind man. Bartimaeus had a great set of lungs. He'd only have a few moments to get the Lord's attention, and so he dialed it up to full volume. He didn't have to think about it. I mean, by the time he heard that it was Jesus, and Jesus is walking by, I mean, he has a a small window, a small opportunity to get the Lord's attention. And so he dials it up, and verse 49, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Occupied as he was with thoughts about the suffering awaiting him in Jerusalem, surrounded by the din of the crowd, probably praying to his father, Jesus nevertheless heard Bartimaeus cry out for mercy. Seriously, think of how distracted Jesus must have been. Here's what he had told his disciples a few verses earlier. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, scourge him, spit on him, kill him, and the third day he will rise again. On top of that, his disciples didn't understand what he was talking about and even were asking for just the opposite. And on top of that, he knew one of them was going to betray him. And so there's a lot to distract the Lord and and have his mind somewhere. You ever, ever been distracted? Have your mind somewhere else? With all of that weighing heavily upon him, Jesus heard one blind man and he responded to him. God's heart responds to the humble. So Jesus stood still. The procession came to an abrupt halt. I'm sure some of those following had no idea why Jesus stopped. It's kind of like when you're on the freeway in Los Angeles and all of a sudden everything comes to a dead stop, stop and go traffic, and you're wondering, man, I wonder what happened up ahead because you can't see. That's what happened to this crowd. They hadn't seen Bartimaeus. They hadn't heard him. Many of them were too preoccupied with their own thoughts of glory and of the Lord uh, giving them rewards. It prompts me to ask what preoccupies us? What is it that distracts us from seeing the real needs of people around us in the world? As believers walking along spiritually with Jesus on our way to the new Jerusalem, we need to be aware of the situation of most of the rest of the people in the world. You might ask yourself on a regular basis, who is the blind beggar I don't see? See, the disciples, they didn't see Bartimaeus. I would have thought that one of the disciples, one out of the 12, would have blind man duty that day. Uh, You know, where Jesus is saying, hey, we're going to be on our way. And, uh, you know, Peter, if you see a blind man, let me know. Because, after all, part of my mission is to heal the sick and give sight to the blind. But no one was on blind man duty that day. And sometimes we we need to be reminded that there are blind men, as it were, all along our path to heaven. It might be an orphan, it might be a child needing help in the third world, it could be a concern for human trafficking, could be the support of a missionary or missionaries in the field, could be something here at home like teen girls and women in crisis pregnancies that need counsel, or the homeless that are here in Hanford uh, and Lemoore, or recovering addicts. There are many, many different needs that are along the road of life. The Lord wants to direct us to someone or to some group. We just need to ask him who it is that's crying out to him for mercy that we don't see. And when he points it out, then we need to get involved. Now, verses 49 through 52, Jesus still stands still while you and I call out to men. 
In C.S. Lewis's beloved classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the line I remember the most was, Aslan is on the move. The great lion was putting things in motion to resolve the problem that it was always winter, but never Christmas. He was doing business that was going to change the world. Our God is on the move. His providence is directing history toward the remaining events that are prophesied in the Bible. Israel is in her land, surrounded by enemies and with almost no allies. She is ripe for entering a treaty guaranteeing her safety. Trouble is, she's going to sign that treaty with the man that we know as the Antichrist. Technology is ready to serve the Antichrist when he's revealed. We report to you all the time about advances in biometrics that sound eerily like the dreaded mark of the beast. And then there are plans to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, and there are priests who are being trained to perform its rituals and implements being readied for those rituals. That temple will be the site of a pivotal event as the Antichrist in the future tribulation steps into it and declares himself God and demands to be worshipped, and then the worst part of the tribulation begins. We are waiting to be raptured prior to the tribulation, and as we're waiting, we're to be hard at work. The Bible tells us to go throughout the world making disciples of all men. Even with all that activity, I think we can safely say that Jesus still stands still. The son of David will never ignore the cry or refuse the faith of a sinner seeking mercy. In fact, God depicts himself as waiting for sinners to respond. People say, what is God waiting for? Why doesn't he get through with this? And there's one word that he likes to use. It's the word long-suffering. The apostle Peter was fond of that word. In the two inspired letters he wrote, he used it three times. Here is what he said. I'll string them together. He says, divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Eight souls were saved. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. God's long-suffering means he's waiting to send his wrath upon the earth while we go making disciples. His standing still, in one sense, is a call to the lost with the message of the gospel. Lost individuals along the roads we travel are just like Bartimaeus. And so Jesus stood still, verse 49, and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Call the blind man. What a great summary and shorthand of the Great Commission. We are to be about the business of calling to blind men. To emphasize the lost condition of the human race, the Bible describes us as blind. But even if our gospel is veiled, Paul said in Corinthians, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Their minds are blinded. They do not believe, lest the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Not only is mankind blinded, we are in the dark, and we prefer darkness to light. This is the condemnation. John said that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so before you're saved, before you receive Jesus Christ as your savior, you're spiritually blind in pitch dark and you love it there because you don't have any other concern other than to continue in your sin. 
When you get saved, you receive spiritual sight and you move out of the kingdom of darkness, the Bible says, and into the light. Paul put it this way. He says, open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. And so call the blind man. That's our mission and our privilege. And so they say to blind Bartimaeus, be of good cheer, rise. Christians have a flair for making the good news cheerless. I've seen people share the gospel as if it was the worst news you could receive, as if it was a death notification. It's like, come to Jesus. He'll give you joy. You'll have to give up a bunch of things that you like to do, but, you know, there's always church. And and it's terrible. Recent research has revealed that a majority of the unchurched Americans see Christians as judgmental, homophobic bigots. I'd like to blame hostile mischaracterizations of Christians by the media. 50% of the respondents in that research study said they based their views on personal contact with Christians. Now, I'm not saying that to chastise us. Similar polls show that evangelicals like ourselves are perceived as being the most Christ-like of Christians. So, yeah. But the point I am making is that we should be able to tell non-believers to be of good cheer because of the good news we have to share with them. I'm not saying we don't talk about sin or anything like we don't dumb down the gospel or water it down, but this is good news. To take somebody who doesn't know that they're blind and in the dark and to give them the light of the gospel of the glory of God and to bring them to a place of fulfillment and purpose and meaning for their life. I mean, this is good news. The gospel makes people whole. It brings them to what they were created for. And so we need to approach sinners and tell them that we have a message of good cheer. Disney's The Little Mermaid. Ariel brings Scuttle her bag of human treasures, hoping to learn what the items are and what they're used for. The first one is a fork, which Scuttle identifies as a dinglehopper, and he says it's used to comb your hair. The next item is a smoking pipe, which he says is a musical instrument called a snarfblatt. Non-believers live their lives thinking they are dinglehoppers or snarfblatts. Think about it, it works. When they were created to be the children of God. They don't know what they were created for. They have eternity in their hearts, but there's a void, there's an emptiness. And this is why so many famous people and rich people, you'll hear them at the end of their life say, I I did this and that and the other thing, and I never felt satisfied. I never felt fulfilled. I was Mr. Dinglehopper, they might as well say, because they're made to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and until that happens, they're doing something else with their life. Next, they told Bartimaeus, rise. Backtrack for a moment. Bartimaeus had already heard of Jesus of Nazareth. He had some understanding of who he was. We might say that others had shared Jesus with him. And we see him crying out for mercy and his cry being answered so that he can rise and go to Jesus. It's a picture of grace operating on the human heart. In and of themselves and apart from the grace of God, human beings can neither think or will or do anything good, including belief. But with the grace of God, as it prepares and enables sinners to receive the free gift of salvation offered in Jesus Christ and his gospel, you can come. Only through the grace of God can sinners believe and be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But thankfully, God extends his grace to all. The grace of God calling 
frees the will of a person to be able to respond and to come to Christ. It frees you to be able to rise, as it were. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. His garment is probably a reference to his outer cloak. You take it off to move faster, indicating Bartimaeus' eagerness to get to Jesus. I think the garment represents something spiritual as well. Commentator Adam Clark writes and he says, If every penitent were as ready to throw aside his self-righteousness and sinful encumbrances as this blind man was to throw aside his garment, we should have fewer delays in conversions than we have now, and all that have been convinced of sin would have been brought to the knowledge of the truth. Your salvation is often depicted using garments. Our own best works of righteousness, we are told, are nothing more than filthy rags. When we are saved, Jesus removes our filthy garments and he exchanges them for his own white robe of righteousness. He rose and came to Jesus. He did publicly what was happening privately. It's good to represent what the Lord is doing in your heart by coming forward and taking a step of faith. And so Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. In the Lord of the Rings, one of the ways the people of Gondor recognize that Aragorn the ranger is really the rightful king is that he had certain abilities to effect healing. Their lore said, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. Bartimaeus' request is a declaration that he believed Jesus to be the rightful king because the giving of sight to the blind is a sign only the rightful king would be able to perform. Rabboni is a term of endearment. It's equivalent to calling Jesus his master. And so Bartimaeus is submitting himself to Jesus as his servant, as his slave. Bartimaeus is doing all the things that Jesus' disciples were not doing in, in his humility. Coming to him, believing in him, throwing himself on the mercy of him, submitting himself to him. The blind man understood by faith many of the things the disciples misunderstood, even though they'd been taught them directly by the Lord. Humility prepares your heart for insight and illumination. I notice a quote by A.W. Tozer as our pre-service slideshow scrolls by. He said something like, what we need is not more information, but transformation. The disciples had information in overabundance, but they were unaffected by it. What they needed is to be transformed. And so information is good. It keeps us from making mistakes. You don't want to overlook what's happening in the text and the history and things like that. But what we come to the word for is the transformation of our hearts and lives to become more like Jesus. Verse 52, then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. You remember the genie in Aladdin, the Robin Williams one? He'd do something amazing and then say, made you look. You ever say that to somebody? It's kind of fun. I wonder if Jesus ever said, made you well. I mean, one minute you're blind, the next minute you're, ah, made you well. That'd be great. I don't think he did. Probably wouldn't translate into Hebrew, but. But made you well can and probably should be translated saved. Bartimaeus was saved by the operation of grace on his heart through faith, and this was evidenced by him receiving his sight. Sort of like the time Jesus told the paralytic his sins were forgiven, when the religious leaders objected, saying only God can forgive sins, Jesus says, okay, I'll heal him to show you that I have the power to forgive sins, and he did. And so a lot of Jesus' healings 
when it says their faith healed them, it means they came to faith in Jesus Christ, the same way we do today, by grace through faith, and to prove that he was God and to prove that they were saved, he would heal them. It says Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the road. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, which was about 15 miles away, and Bartimaeus followed him there. I wonder if this was Bartimaeus' first Passover in Jerusalem. Sure, all male Jews were commanded to attend each year, but Jewish sources say this wasn't strictly obeyed in the first century. Even though the Bible said, hey, if you're a male Jew, you have to go to Jerusalem three times a year, it wasn't followed. There was a lot of things that the Jews didn't follow in the first century. And what if you were a blind beggar? Did you go to Passover in Jerusalem? This was certainly going to be his first Passover as a sighted person. Did he later join the crowd that shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, expecting the Lord to be crowned as king? Where was he when Jesus was crucified? Did he stay long enough to hear firsthand about the resurrection of Jesus on the third day? Was he one of those 500 that Jesus appeared to at one time who gave testimony that he was risen from the dead? Well, the beauty of it is we can ask him one day, and that'll be a great story. Your Bartimaeus probably won't be a blind beggar sitting on some road you're on. It's going to be a family member or a co-worker or a fellow student. It might be a stranger you encounter. It could be anyone really as you go with the gospel. The person's heart may have already been prepared by others sharing Jesus with them. Or you might be the very first one that tells them the good news. You might meet with resistance or they might be ready to rise up and meet the Lord. The Lord still stands still as his long-suffering waits for sinners to repent. I don't want to be overdramatic, but I feel compelled to address any non-believers that are in the crowd one final time. This could, for you, be the last time Jesus is presented to you. You don't know. He could be walking by you for the very last time, the last opportunity you have to respond to the grace of God. It's therefore somewhat urgent that you would cry out for mercy. He's here He's standing still. He always is when the gospel is preached and when sinners humble themselves. Be of good cheer and rise.